Welcome to the Strategy with Jason podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me another episode of Strategy with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest just from the other side of the lake, I guess, from here, right across the border. <laughs> I, have, I have Mr. Levi Spires with me. Levi, what's up? How you doing? Hey, man. Good to see you again, Jason. Good to see you. Hey, we got some great topics today. We're going to have some fun. Um, I'm super excited to hear about your Carvana experience. But but before we get into these cool topics, I always like to start out these podcasts with a little origin story because I'm super fascinated to find out how people fumble their way into this crazy little world we call the automotive industry. So, so I'm curious, Levi, what is the origin story of how you got started in the automotive space? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, just so you know, I uh, was in the Air Force for about 12 years. Uh, I was a financial accountant kind of guy, boring stuff. Uh, I went to graduate school at Syracuse University, got a couple of master's degrees focusing on economics. Um, at that point in time, I joined a marketing company, launched an SEO company. I did that for about five years, I sold out of that. And then I joined a friend of mine named Paul Daly. Uh, he had a company called Image Auto and Rim Doctor. I had a small consulting business on the side and I merged that into there. And we built an agency called Congruent. We sold Image Auto and Rim Doctor to Dent Wizard um, International and Paul doubled down on the agency side. And so I was there to help him grow Congruent uh, that focused primarily on car dealerships. And that's where we got into the car dealership world. I left Congruent Thanksgiving of last year to uh, write a couple of books and do my own thing. And uh, that's what I'm doing today. And we are definitely going to talk a little bit about the topics of your books because I mean, you, you picked some fun in ones, man. Like you really did. Yeah. You really did. You know what? It's so it's it's so cool to hear how people kind of fun. Like I don't think very few people actually wake up one day and say, "Hmm, I'm going to be an automotive." <laughs> like, it's just, Nobody does. It's just I don't think it ha well, unless you're born into it or something like that. But otherwise, right. not everyone kind of finds their way into it some way or not, right? So hey, we're glad we we're glad that you found your way into it. So to kick off today's uh, podcast. Let's talk about your Carvana experience because boy, God, it just almost does feel like a dirty word when I say it out loud. And I know some people are probably watching, listening around and they go, but I really want to listen to this. And it's like, but you know what, regardless of how you feel about the company or even their recent commercials, <laughs> like, the, the one thing that you have to acknowledge is that they have created a buying process, not a selling process. And I would love to kind of hear your personal experience. That's a great way to describe it, a buying process. Um, about two years ago, give or take, I started looking for a used Toyota Avalon. Nice. I'm not sure how I got into Carvano's ecosystem, but they texted me one day. And they texted me saying, hey, we've got an Avalon. And it was roughly in the price range I was looking at. Um, I just was click, click, click on my phone and next thing you know, they said, hey, we're going to ship it to you. It was just like that. It was so easy. Um, and I know people are like, well, did you test drive it? You know, and oh, how did it feel? And it was a Toyota Avalon. It wasn't like I was buying sure. my next, you know, midlife crisis vehicle or anything. I just needed a car and I knew what I wanted. Um, so I bought it. It, was, it, was, it took about 30 minutes to buy it. I didn't talk to one person. I did it all on my phone. 
They FedExed me the paperwork the next day. Mm-hmm. So I signed a couple of documents, sent it back. And within six days, it was sent uh, directly to my office. In fact, the car that I had previous to that was a, a Camry that was about to be totaled. Uh, the repair costs were more than it would cost to get it fixed. Oh, no. So, so what I ended up doing was driving that Camry into work. I had a tow truck come pick it up. Um, so I was stuck at work without a car, hoping that the Carvana truck would show up at my <laughs> office in time. It showed up right about four o'clock. I took a look at it. I got off the vehicle. I signed for it, and I'm driving it. It's so that's that that is, that is so cool. So I'm I'm curious though, like um, w- when you were online, uh, what draw you? What drew you to Carvana? You know, because I mean, I think about it, I think about all these different marketplaces, all these different dealerships that you can potentially engage with. I'm curious, you know, how many other companies did you engage with? before you kind of uh, started that path, that, that buying process with Carvana? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I, I really like cars.com from a user interface. Yeah. Um, I don't remember what it was like two years ago, but I know I've been a cars.com uh, fan for the longest time. So I, I probably started there. And I say probably because I don't remember. Um, but I can tell you the Carvana app and the Carvana website is probably the easiest thing I've ever used to find a car. In fact, I do it all the time. I still download and use that app. When somebody says, hey, they're looking for a car, it's still the one app I can go into and say, hey, what kind of features are you looking for? And I can click, 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 and then show them right on the phone. And it's probably the easiest user interface that I've ever had to use. I actually think that's, I think that's something we can actually dive into a little bit because what you just said there is super interesting. There's this kind of built-in referral element right? That when, you know, you're at that dinner party and, you know, someone talks to you and says, you know, Hey, I'm thinking about buying a car. It's like you, your first gut reaction is to kind of walk them through that app and just show them how easy it is to do that. Is it, what about that experience? Was it the convenience of the experience? Is, is that, is that the element that you want to share with others? Yeah, I think so. You know, if, if you've ever used the Carvana app, it's this tool of Across them, you can use to kind of slowly uh, eliminate the number of vehicles that you're looking at. So you can kind of start with maybe a sedan, right? And then mm-hmm. you can say, um, I want a V6. And as you're slowly clicking across the top, it gets easier and kind of gets more refined of exactly what you're looking for. And I know they've got what, 13, 15, 20,000 vehicles, you know, just in that. And it's not going to maybe find the exact car that they're looking for, but it says, you know, you probably should be in that Honda Accord range or something on those lines. So I can help narrow it down pretty quickly. Hey, here's the exact cars I'm looking for based upon those features. That's why I like it. So it's the value, the value for you then really did have to do with convenience then and time. Now, I mean, look, yeah, you've yeah. also had the opportunity yeah, to work with a lot I'm of I'm the guys. guy that uses the Apple Watch, right? So <laughs> I love these stuff. So, yes, yeah, so I'm always about the easiest, simplest thing in the world. So now, now you've, you've also worked with a fair amount of dealerships, so you've seen the differences there. Um, you know, at, at the core, all right, you know, why did you feel comfortable enough to make a purchase completely online versus going into a physical place? And in speaking with someone, was it, was it because you did, were you concerned about the waste of time? Did you feel like you were going to be sold? I'm just kind of curious what drew you to that online experience versus that in dealership experience. That's a great question. You know, at the time I was already working with a handful of car dealers and there's a little bit of an embarrassment, uh, <laughs> ownership that I'd take. I'd, cause they were like, why didn't you buy a car for me? Why sure. did you go to Carvana and not to me? And uh, the truth is, is uh, it took 30 minutes. I think if the Carvana experience would have lasted longer, 
Um, I probably wouldn't have bought the car from them. Literally, it just happened so fast. I knew exactly what I was looking for. I didn't really care much about certain details. I just knew I wanted a, a car with a black interior. I wanted it to be leather. I wanted it to be a Toyota Avalon. I was looking in that 2016 to 2018 range. I kind of had everything down that I exactly wanted. So when the car arrived and it was exactly what I wanted, it made the process to purchase the car easy. I fear going into a dealership, even one of my friends, sure. I, I feel like it would have just taken a lot longer. And and time is what matters most to me. That's what I value most. So convenience. So it was more of an experience for you necessarily than so it was. It was catered to you as an individual. And, exactly. And, and your and concern was is that if you'd gone to a physical location, that that was not going to be the case. You were going to f- kind of fall into whatever defined experience or defined process or defined time, right? That that dealership had. It's not. It wasn't. You didn't feel necessarily, I'm going to ask you this because let me reword this. Did you feel like you were more in control with Carvana than if you had gone into a physical location? Yeah, exactly. You know, Carvana didn't want to upsell me, right? I feel like if I would have went to a car dealership and the car that I wanted was right there, I know because I'm in the industry that a lot of times that salesperson might have tried to say, have you considered this? Have you considered this? It's like, I've already made my mind up. Just give me the damn car. Exactly. You know, it's like, I know what I want. Don't waste my time. And so there's a fear of interacting with the dealership, thinking that that's what they're going to do. Now, not all dealers are like that. And not all salespeople are like that. It's just, once I open that door a little bit, that crevice to a dealership saying, I'm interested in this. I know it's Pandora's box, what I'm about to get into. So before I even open that door, I know what I wanted. Carvana had it, and it was thirty minutes in and out. Done deal. Because it was a buying process. It was a buying exactly process. Exactly right. You knew what you wanted. Uh, you knew the color. You knew the the approximate price range that you wanted to pay for it. You knew um, that it was going to be an Avalon. Which, by the way, good choice on the Avalon. You know, there's yeah, not a yeah. lot of Avalon drivers out there. So when you said Avalon, I was like. Oh, all right. Here's the teaser. Wait till people know what I do with the Avalon now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's true. That's true. But no, I mean it's a good choice actually. And the new one, holy cow, that thing is good looking. Like it is does not look like the, the, that older person oversized Camry anymore. Like it is a really really cool looking car. So I love uh, it. Uh, props for that. But but I think that's look for anybody out there watching and listening to this right now. I think your biggest takeaway here is that here's an individual that looked at a buying process, not a sales process, not, 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 not your 14 point or 10 point or 12 point, whatever the hell you want to call it, buying process where I have to come into the dealership and I got to navigate this, this map of different steps that the, you, the dealership has defined, all right? It's like, no, you felt more in control with not only the shopping, but also the choosing because of an easy to use app on your phone. And, um, you know, I guess they really did drive home the comfort level that, hey, if we bring it out and you don't like it, we're just going to take it right back. Like, you, you still, yeah. like, did you feel pressured at all? Like, when they brought it out, were you like, hey, if this is not what I want, I'm just saying no and it's not a big deal? No. In fact, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. You know, the car wasn't perfect. Now, again, I did work at an automotive reconditioning company at the time. So I know what oh, good yeah, wheels good look like and I know what to expect. And when I looked at the car the next day in the sunlight, there were more scratches. The wheels didn't look the way I thought they were. I reached out to them. And Carvana made good, super quick. I said, hey, I thought there were two keys. There was only one. These wheels looked a little more damaged. I just showed them a picture. 
they sent me a check for like, I think 750 or like 800 bucks to really take care of it. Just like that. Wow. This, they just said, take care of it. The big expense was I thought it had heated and cooled seats. Um, it only had heated seats. Um, and, but I live up in Syracuse, New York and I need cooled seats about twice a year. Um, so I was like, I'll just take the money. I'll just take the money. Yeah. So if I would have test drove the car, I would have noticed that right away. So my wife, she will never buy a car from Garvana. She thinks that was the worst thing in the planet. She's like, (laughs) you got totally screwed over. You thought it had these two things and she's never going to, she's going to test drive every vehicle. So it's not for everybody, but I just, I didn't care. I was like, yeah, done deal. I, I saved how many hours, days of my life by going to Carvana. That's, that's what I matter most. Well, and, and you know what? I look, I'm, I'm not actually not much different, right? Like the, the last Maxima I bought, I didn't test drive it. I just called the dealership. Here's what I need. Send me over the information. And can you deliver it in two weeks? By the way, I need a wrapped Easy. orange. <laughs> like, yes, yes, yes. And are you serious? You wanted an orange? I'm like, yes. <laughs> See this tie? Yeah. But look, I think for, like I said, for, for people that are watching and listening, is that your dealership can do this. All right. It's not enough anymore. Like it's 2021 people. It's not okay that you have one way to do, to interact and purchase or buy from you. All right. I mean, you should have two, three, four, five different ways. Right. I mean, that's that way, that way it's like you, you can find and in, in sufficient and in, in, I guess supply the experience that someone like Levi's was looking for or someone like Levi's wife might be looking for or someone how I'm looking for. It's like, I think that's what it is. I think as an industry, what we've kind of learned from, you know, the Carvanas of the world and also just, I think from what the pandemic has showed us too, is that people want to purchase their way, not our way. And if you're going to be super successful about providing an experience, then it has to be an experience that they want and that they chose. I always kind of think of it like, you know, those old adventure books, you know, the, oh, yeah. the pick your adventures. Did you, you, did you watch, did you read those when you were a kid? Oh my God. You're crazy <laughs> mind reading Jason, because that's another lead into my book. <laughs> okay. Well, cool. Really we're totally going to go there at some point, but, but you know what <laughs> yes, I mean I though, exactly. right? Yes. Like, yes. Like businesses should be like car dealerships should be more like pick your own adventure books. I think that's exactly what they should be. But. Choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. That's right. Okay. So, Hey, to shift our conversation a little bit, because we had some great other topics that we were talking about before we actually hit record today. Um, we got talking about branding or brand. And, you know, these are, this is a topic that both of us are super, super passionate about. And, you know, I think, you know, we both agree that some of the, you know, some some of the issues we see in the industry is that there's a lot of dealerships out there that think their brand is defined by their OEM. And, you know, so what, how, what advice would you give to dealerships that need to define uh, their brand uh, differently from the OEM? Or what would the difference be? Uh, that's a great thing. You, you're right. I do care a lot about brand. It's the thing that really gravitated me to working with Paul over at Congruent. And I'm an accountant by trade, an economist. That's what my <laughs> background is. And, and that's what I've learned. A great brand means you make more money. Right? You mm-hmm. think about the, the sale of a business, right? That line says goodwill, you know, somewhere buried in the asset side of yep. a balance sheet. That goodwill another way to say it's brand, you know, a, a, a business with a better brand can sell for more money. And we think about like Nike isn't like better at logistics or better at shoe manufacturing than anybody else. They just have an amazing brand. And so their stock price 
goes up. So I'm not crazy about brand because it's, it makes me feel good or it's an ego driven thing. Brand means more money. Yes. Better brands means you can increase the prices of your vehicles. A better brand means people will tolerate maybe a little bit different sales processes than what they're expecting. So the reason why I'm leaning into brand and I think it matters more is it just makes more money. Does that make sense, Jason? No, no, a hundred percent. It does. And you know, and it's actually cool to hear it from someone who is data and number driven that they see some value in it. So, and I'll give you an example. Actually, the same thing happened with my business, right? Is I remember when I sold my dealership and then I started the agency, mm -hmm. right? And there was that goodwill number. Okay. And, you know, it was a certain number and I was okay with it. I was comfortable with it. But then as I asked more questions about that, I said, let me really understand how can dealership A have this goodwill, dealership B have this goodwill, and dealership C have this different good? And they, even though they could all be the same manufacturer, and and actually there's more goodwill in dealership C, uh, but their actual profit margins are actually lower. So explain. So I actually had someone explain this to me, and that's actually what drew me to creating strategy with strategy with Jason. And attaching that to digital dealership solutions, the the agency was that the agency was always always only going to be valued at at this certain amount. All right. But then the brand associated to it actually exponentially, all right, brought the value up to that. And and I think that dealerships need to a start looking at the brand that way is they have to understand that their brand has a monetary value to it. And the bigger and stronger that is, all right, you will see it in the goodwill check that you receive when you eventually cash out. Um, but but that's that's a great so, reason from a money perspective of why to do it. But I think so what it is is how do you how do you identify the difference? Like how do you build that brand uh, that is in line with your OEM but unique to you as an individual? That's right. You know, so there are obviously dealership groups. We're going to put them in three buckets, right? There's the dealership group that is um, maybe just a used car dealership. And, and I think they have a special opportunity and put them over here for a second. Yep. And we have the dealership groups that are primarily focused around one OEM, maybe two, but that the second OEM is maybe kind of like just an add-on. So they primarily sell Toyotas, but they happen to throw in a, you know, one Mitsubishi over here or something sure. along those lines. Uh, then there's the dealership group that has a ton of OEMs and, and they're a much larger group over here. I think the special group that I really want to focus on is a dealership group that has maybe one primary OEM. And then how do they differentiate themselves from that? Because at the end of the day is, is if their OEM struggles, then they struggle. But if they have their own personal brand and they, again, they can go beyond that. That brand is much more than the name before. So Joe Smith Nissan, as an example, that, Joe Smith is maybe the moniker or how to identify that brand, but it's not the feeling that you get. And this is the thing that Paul taught me over at Congruent that is, is still today is just sticks with me. Brand is that feeling that you get when I say that brand. So when I said Nike, you had a feeling. Um, when I say Joe Smith, Nissan, you have a feeling. It's that Joe Smith, and I say Joe Smith before I say the word Nissan, is how you feel about the Joe Smith. So all that you can do is is like, how can I grow that name, Joe Smith, and get people to feel a certain way? So maybe that feeling is, uh, I get a great deal, or that feeling is, it's great customer service, or they're super nice people, or they care about our community. So all those activities you can do to make people feel a certain way, that's how you differentiate your brand from the manufacturer. So again, Nissan makes great cars or Toyota makes mm -hmm. great cars and let that be that part of the brand. You get to focus on the feeling people get 
around the experience of your dealership, whether it be whether they're going to come in and buy a car or they're never going to buy a car, but they know who you are in the community. And the final thing is I want to say is I know your name, Joe Smith, or something has to be in front of it. Hopefully it can be something different is whatever that might be some sort of, you know, experiential name, you know, <laughs> it doesn't have to be your, your, your personal name. But again, that same thing that you can do. So if it's, I don't know, Axios, um, you know, dealerships or whatever it might be, how do I feel when I see that name, all the activities I can do to improve that feeling, that's my brand. No, that, no, that totally makes sense, right? And that's, I mean, you know, it's funny for uh, dealerships that are watching, listening out there, and you, maybe you're not necessarily sure how people feel about your brand. Just spend a good 30 minutes reading through your Google reviews, and you're going to see a pattern of words being used, all right? And those words are literally their way of saying of how they felt that interaction was. You know, that's one of the reasons I love the word experience, because it's so broad and it goes from one side of the spectrum to the other side of the spectrum. It can be equally as good and amazing and shareable and, and you know, and then it can equally be just as bad and horrible and angry and upset and just frustrating and just, just make you want to scream and pull your hair out. So it goes both ways, but you'll see how people describe your brand, your brand. So it's a funny thing. I think a lot of dealerships out there don't realize, but their, their individual brand outside of their OEM already exists with or without their knowledge. All right, because it's how their customers or consumers um, perceive them. All right, and that is the brand. Now, I think as an industry, uh, to defining the difference between myself and the OEM or the dealership and the OEM is that I actually need to take an exercise, a time to actually define how I want to be viewed as a brand. Do you, do you agree? That's exactly right. And it's like, there, there's, there's two plays on it. It's a, it's a push or a pull, yes. right? That you can pull them along and say, here's how I want you to feel, right? Or they can push you, know, you a certain way and say, hey, this is how I felt because this is the way you treated me. And so you have an opportunity within your brand to say, here's how I want you to feel. And that's where marketing comes in. I want you to feel joy. I want you to feel satisfaction. So your marketing and your branding can say that in your advertising. And so when people come in, that's what they're expecting to feel. And then obviously your customer service and, and the sales process has to follow through with that. Um, so the feelings can be pushed a little bit by you as opposed to just waiting for the customer to experience it based upon whatever sales process you have and let them define it. So if you define it for them, then thus you're now defining your brand. Exactly. You're setting the stage. All right. If you set the stage that this is a fun place to come do business with, then you better within your sales process and your delivery process and service process and hell, even the way you answer the damn phone. All right. You better find some way for it to be fun. Right. <laughs> like, it, And so, so that's what I think. I think some people get to the point where they they've in their marketing efforts, at least they defined the, the direction or the emotion that uh, they want to connect to their brand. But the, the next step is it has to be embedded into the process. Otherwise, Thanks. to your point, like you were saying, Levi, it just, ooh, if you got marketing message saying this is one thing and then your process comes in and it's entirely different, that can get ugly pretty quick, eh? We've all been to, we've all been to weddings and uh, what First Corinthians chapter 13 talks about love. And we all think about love as the emotion. Man, I really love her. But then when the book of Corinthians, they start talking about love is patient, love yep. is kind, love is not jealous. Well, those are all actions and those actions then drive the feeling. So I would go back to your branding and think about, hey, how do I want my customers to feel? 
I need to execute to that. And then I can go into my marketing and then tell people, this is how you're going to feel based upon the actions we are consistently delivering. And I wouldn't be everything. You don't have to be the best, most fun place. You don't have to be the most exciting place. You don't have to care about Just pick a couple of things and say, this is what our brand is about. And just lean, lean into that. You know what? I, I think that's a great way uh, for a dealership to define the difference between themselves and their OEM. Uh, listening to that, you know, I've, you're 100 right. You don't have to be number one of everything, and you don't have to be the best of everything. And in, in reality, you're not. So you know, come out to say that you're going to be the best price when you might be sometimes, but there's no way to actually know that you're always going to be. It's like. It's not a, you know what's funny is everybody's number one, everyone's the, everyone's the best. I've actually have wanted a dealership for years to allow me to run the number two campaign because everybody likes a good number two. And, um, and it's just because like there's no reason to say I'm number one. How about how, I want to say I'm the number two in CSI. Well, isn't that <laughs> that's what Avis did, right? So I can't remember. I think it was Hertz was <laughs> always right, number one. And Avis just said, we try harder, right? They always were number two. Yes. See, I actually think there's a lot of value in just being being honest, being transparent, being real. But this actually goes into kind of our next topic, which is, you know, defining dealer identity, right? Uh, how not to be the jack of all trades and master of nothing. And this might be a little bit more for some of the used car dealerships that are watching or listening to right now. But I know you got some thoughts on this. Oh, man, I tell you what, I've never worked at a car dealership, um, much less uh, owned one or managed one. So take this with a grain of salt. But I, I dream about like, if I had my own car dealership, what would I do? And I would make like a, a Toyota Camry enthusiast car dealership. Number one, Toyota Camrys are a dime a dozen. You can find them everywhere, right? They're really reliable. And it would be like, you know, like there's like Honda Civic hatchback kind of enthusiast places yes. or truck stores. Nobody has like a four-door you know, you know, sedan store, sedan <laughs> at least store. not that I'm aware of and just lean into it, you know, and like have gold plating, you know, on like the inside of the vehicle, like this is certified official Toyota Camry, you know, all, you know, it's like, uh, the, the, you go to those car shows and, and it's like, there's a little placard out in front of it saying yeah. this was a 1986 Camry. And, and I would just say it would do it. Another reason why I would do that though, is I could, it would give me proof that I, my technicians, if I had like a certification process, Sure. They know Camry's inside and out, right? And so I could bring my my uh, you know their expertise to the floor and say like we've checked this car over time and time again. Whereas if like if it's a, so many different manufacturers within your fleet, I start to I start to a little hedge a little bit. Like, do you really know a Honda Accord? Um, I learned this from my mechanic. Um, I'm a Toyota guy, yep. and my mechanic specializes in Toyotas. He's, he doesn't he doesn't work for Toyota, but he specializes in it. And because he does, I feel confident that he's going to be able to deliver to it. So the enthusiast thing, and then uh, as a marketer and a brander, how fun would it be, right? You can no, imagine just all fun. the great content you can make. You could be like the number one Camry place in America, right? And if it came through this dealership, then people are like, that's an amazing place. And, and and when you get a, you know, a 78 Camry, can you please just, or a 78 is probably too old, who knows, but let's say a, a 2012, <laughs> if you get a 2012 end, a silver, hold it for me. Cause I know you guys are Camry experts. That's what I would do. No, no, look, look, I think you could have a lot of fun with that. Right. And I think, you know, honestly, especially with today's uh, online buying processes that I could actually see where I'd want to engage with the, the Camry guys. You know, or, you know, it's like, I, I want to buy from the, the, the Camry store, the, the world's largest Camry superstore, you know, but it, look, it would be cool. I mean, I could see like, 
uh, I know I actually do know of a dealership in California that specializes in Miatas. There you go. And you want to talk about a funky little car that has a very awkward little niche following. All right. Uh, but this just all he does is just buys and sells used MX-5s or Miatas. And I think at any given moment, he's got about 60 of them sitting on his lot. And, you know, and it's just they're the funkiest little cars ever. I don't know if you've ever driven one, but it's like driving a little toy around. Uh, but there are people that live and die by these things. Like They love these little tiny cars. Well, it's it's. The the reason why I'm doing it is is I, I kind of want to go to the extreme and the absurdity of yes. it because it's more of like how can I be so unique that nobody else in the country is doing it? exactly right and I think you, your question was more toward dealership brand identity and the truth is you know I thought about making a TikTok channel of just like every single car dealership ad that I've ever seen because they're all the same yes right car dealership ads all look the same and and I wouldn't except for a couple like crazy taglines or whatever I really don't know these dealerships what makes them special and what makes them so unique. So I, I lean toward a cars.com or a Carvana because the shopping experience is a certain way, but a dealership that leaned into something totally unique and be like, yeah, I'm willing to game to show up at that dealership. So if it's a Camry store or I don't know, you, you can kind of go through the list of things that would make a dealership unique, but whatever that is, that's, that's what I would lean into. You know, I saw recently and I'll have to find the information, but there was a gentleman out in, I believe it was Vancouver that started a, uh, a first pre-owned all-electric vehicle, pre-owned dealership. So the only thing that he sells is pre-owned electric vehicles, which I would find really interesting because I appreciate the idea of an electric vehicle and I appreciate the idea of a pre-owned one because it's more than 60% less than what the original sticker price right. was, you know, but... I don't know enough about the tech or confident enough in the tech. It's like, should I even buy a pre-owned one? You know, and here comes somebody that's like, Hey, they're actually really great pre-owned. Here's how we test battery efficiency. Here's how we know that the motors still have, you know, five to 10 years or 20 years worth of usage on it, you know, whatever it is. Right. So I look, I definitely think that there's some value and branding opportunity with being a master of something versus the Jack of all trades. Um, now the, our next topic, I want to migrate, kind of move into our next topic here, because I think I could see how what we just talked about could be a great social media uh, campaign. Cause I think there's just, it would make for a really cool social campaign. Right. But right. you know what, let's talk a little bit about social media kind of in the automotive space, specifically with dealerships. Um, I, I find that dealerships are the most non-social social media users in the world. Right. <laughs> like, just, like just being social on social media, right. Just being humans. But I know you have some great strategies and ideas about this as well. Yeah, you know, it blew me away. Uh, before I ever worked with a car dealer in the world of marketing and advertising, I didn't understand how much money they were spending in marketing and advertising. And it just, that's what blew me away. <laughs> I, I could not fathom. I was like, you spend how much money in marketing and advertising? And all they're doing is uploading their inventory to said feed, yep. right? And I, and I was like, you know, there's so many opportunities of different things that you can do to build a brand. So going into social media, it's like, I, I, I think Bob Lanham uh, about a week or so ago posted yep. that Facebook is going to stop the integration of the automated, you know, feed into the marketplace. And all I'm, these I'm dealers just crap it. feed, <laughs> right? Pissed off. <laughs> and I was like, is that really critical? Do I, do I follow anybody on social media just to see their inventory? Like would I follow a furniture 
store. Oh, look, look, this picture of couch, picture of couch, picture of, oh, picture of a lazy boy, picture of a couch, picture of a couch. No, no, I never would. I would follow somebody that has content that gives me something that's engaging. And we see it all the time with our advertising. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but if I were to make a post, right, about a vehicle, uh, the, the next Chevrolet Corvette coming out or whatever, it comes and goes and it dies. And Facebook's going to charge me a crap ton of money to run that as an ad. Of course. However, if I talk to the mechanic in my dealership, right, and he tells me why this vehicle is so great, and he's under the hood talking about the vehicle, that price of that ad would drop significantly. And I would drive a ton more traffic. I'd get more VDPs than I ever would off of that one picture of a Corvette or even a thousand pictures of that Corvette. It doesn't really matter. And so social media is not human interactions. If you look at all the great social media channels, they have personalities and people. And so dealerships have a, a crap ton of employees. They sell a crap ton of cars. And you think about all those human interactions that you could be posting on social media, those conversations to then lower your ad spend, right? Drive more VDPs by being human. Oh, you know what? But that's the thing. Like people want to connect with, with, with a person. Like we actually want to have human connection. So, you know, like as a brand, if, if you're not from a content perspective, if there's not a human element in the content itself, then, then uh, how do I connect to you on a, a human, a person to person level. Right. Um, and then the other side of it is that, you know, there's still so much strength in actually having conversations, you know, like what was, and you know, what's so funny is we hear this every once in a while, almost once a quarter or something like that, some big company out there. All right. Really starts to engage with their audience and be social. All right. And, 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 and it, and it takes off. Was it, was it Burger King that was doing the, uh, was it Wendy's who, who was, who was doing it where they're the, like, the, they'll burn the you or social, something like that. Steakum, uh, Steakum <laughs> meats, you know, the frozen meats, yes. they have the best Twitter feed, but it's human. It's, 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 again, there's no pictures of any people per se in there, but it's a human conversation. They don't want you to sell. Hey, look, we've got another steak and box and another exactly. steak and box for sale and another steak and box for sale. Now, of course, those are clever, you know, consumer brands that probably have a lot more freedom than maybe a car dealership per se and what they're going to communicate. But the, at the end of the day, social media is great because you can just get on your phone and connect with people. And it's like, I have all these sales reps sitting around doing what? They have a phone. They have the world's most powerful production tool right there in their hands. Exactly. Connect, produce content, share it, communicate. It's going to be amazing. Well, even if it's within your own community, right? Yeah. Like I got a, uh, I got a, uh, a couple of salespeople that I know that I've kind of coached and give them some advice. And now they run a series of blogs of the best place to eat. Yeah. Um, in their, in their city, in their town. Right. And so, yeah. you know, I've, I've kind of joking, joked about this a little bit. And I said, if you've ever wanted to find out where a great place to get pizza is, all right, you just got to call a local car dealership because yeah. the amount of pizza they consume on a weekly basis is absolutely astronomical. So or if you want to find where the best burger place is, you just call your local, but, but that, see, that's, but that's being social. It's being social within my community. Right. right. You know, so it's like, I've actually have found, you know, I've, I've pushed some dealerships to do this, to actually start talking about it. Look, the funny thing is they seem to think that social media, that because I'm a Toyota dealership, that all of my social media content should be about Toyota. And but that's like the worst strategy ever. Worst. And it's expensive. And I think that's 100%. the thing that's really frustrating is it's I, I don't need the world's greatest picture on of that car. 
I mean, it, it helps when you're actually getting to the very bottom of the funnel transactional mode. Yeah, a great picture of the vehicle does help. But we're talking about top of the level branding, top of the level of mind uh, social media. All you need to do is be human. And I, you know, the outtakes, right? of a commercial tend to perform better sometimes. Right? They do. Same thing. And it drops the price of the ad itself. So if I'm spending, you know, $10 per thousand in price or whatever, human content that works really well, you'll start to see it drop that price. So you're going to get more impressions of an ad. Uh, that's So it's not necessarily just about some sort of feeling that you're getting. We're talking about real marketing data to make decisions. Oh, no, look, you're, you're 100% right. And I've seen some really cool campaigns. And we're not talking about this is just taking time. That's all it is. It's just taking time. You know, like I have a, I have a dealership right now that highlights a, a local business or a local or a local restaurant, you know, every single week. And they go to that business and they buy $200 worth of gift certificates. Right. Mm -hmm. And then they go back to their database and, you know, they look at some of their best servicing customers or some of the most recent purchases and they just start giving out gift certificates. Right. Sure. And, and, and it's just like, there's no, they're, they're promoting other people's businesses and people within their community more than they promote themselves, which then in return creates this social equity. I'm calling that That's right. the social equity where it's like, I become a better trusted brand. Have you seen this happen too? Yeah, I, I see it. Let's talk about some major brands. And we always all kind of talk about Nike when we talk about branding. Yes. But have you ever seen a Nike commercial that says, Nike shoes, 20% off this weekend only. Come in and take a look. And it's just pictures of Nike. In fact, I could tell you that most of the Nike commercials that you've ever seen, you rarely, if ever, see the product. I mean, you might see it like in passing, you know, somebody's running by you exactly. or, you know, on their Jersey, but it's just feeling in the same thing. It's all people generated. So social content, social media is about, again, opening up your phone and connecting and chatting with real people. So the more human content that you post with pictures of faces, right. And humans on there, people are going to respond and interact with it. And, and it's, it's a pretty simple thing to do. We see it with uh, Gary, right. Gary V. So if you're familiar with him, yep. If you look at his social media, it's all him, right? It's just him posting content. And he has that, what, the, the 100 to 1 rule, or I can't remember exactly what it is, but he makes, you know, 100 comments before he posts something himself or something along those lines. And, and I think that that's what really social media is about. And you'll see, again, your ad prices drop. So it's not, it's not just for edification, not to make you feel good. It's about reducing your ad spend. It is. And to do that as an industry, look, um, we, we've embraced the media side of social media. Now it's time for us to embrace the social side of, yeah. of social media. And, and But we've seen dealerships do this and actually do it quite well and reap the benefit of it. And look, it's not rocket science. It's literally just being a human on social media, not just a car dealership. And that's the key to actually being social on social media, man. That's a, that's a great Jason. topic. If I can, the reason Absolutely. why I know dealerships don't do this is fear. And I understand it. Number okay. one, fear of posting bad content. I, I get that. And not even making something offensive in nature, just bad content of like, I just spent 20 minutes making a Twitter post and it, nothing happened. And I, and I get that there's that fear. There's also the fear of control, right? Mm -hmm. If you're making big yep. TV ads or whatever, there's this, the, the dealer principle tends to be, you know, the yes or no, if that's going to get out on the internet or whatever it might be. But when you start to delegate that down, because you not the dealer principle can't be on every single, you know, social media post and respond to it. There's this fear of how are they going to respond? So there, there should be this level of training, 
right? There should be this level of like do's and don'ts, a brand guide or something like that to really help facilitate getting more of your people out there for you. So in a perfect world, all 100 of your employees would have the ability to post content for your brand, respond to consumers. And God forbid, Jason, they post something that's wrong. You can delete it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that internet. easy, 100%. You, like, it's not something to be it. afraid of, right? <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've seen it happen. Actually, I had a Hyundai dealership where that happened, where it was a, a salesperson that had been doing a great job of posting stuff, but she had, a, she had a bad day. She was a little upset by the city and what the city was doing as far as construction goes around her neighborhood, and she decided oh. to post something about it, and oh. and it was on the dealership's website. <laughs> dealership. But look, look, it was, it was a whole whopping... 35 minutes of what, what, what? Delete. Delete. (laughs) It was just, it was that, it was that simple. The whole conversation, everything went away, right? But I mean, but, but it's funny though, because, and and that dealership was almost ready to shut down. They're allowing their staff to have kind of these social voices. And I'm like, no, man, like this is going to happen. The fact that this is the only time it's happened in the two years you've been doing it means nothing, right? Like they have some great salespeople and they're like, they have one salesperson that is a, um, she's new to the car business. She's only been it for a couple of years, um, but she runs a mommy blog. And is super, super active in uh, the kind of the single mother social media um, groups and stuff like that. And she's very, and look, the dealerships has participated in those and has sponsored some and donated it. So it's great. So she's built an audience there. And I have another, another guy that uh, he used a retired angler. By the way, I had to look up what angler was. I didn't know you could actually be a professional fisherman. Um, yeah, you could be a professional fisherman and actually make money doing it. And sure enough, he right. did. So now he creates content about that and people connect with him and it's like it's like they literally will go to the dealership's website to find out where some of the best fishing holes are in that local area (laughs) and that totally works and 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 going back to our our overall thing about this idea of the dealership brand the great thing about this is that now you're creating content you're connecting with the community and you're demonstrating what your brand is really about exactly at the end of the day almost all dealerships i know want to connect with their local community you you have it right there at your phone. It's perfect. It, all you have to do is just do it. That's right. You just have to do it, right? We're going to Nike. We'll just do yeah. it. Just do it. Just do it. <laughs> hey, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time today, Levi, but before I let you go, I we gotta talk about the book and yeah. some of the like it's just I think it's cool, it's funky, and I dig it. So everyone out there watching and listening, let, let them know what's coming for you. <laughs> okay. So um so last year, right before COVID hit, I was at where were we at? What was the uh, conference? Oh my gosh, it was uh, not. NADA. It was a conference in Vegas. NADA, yeah. Yep. See, I, I, I totally lost train of thought what it was. But I was taking an Uber back to the airport, and I was telling my Uber driver how pissed off I was about college expenses, and it's just the more money I make, the more college is going to charge me. And the Uber driver, he was like, "You should be an Uber driver." And I was like, what are you talking about, man? I make a lot of money. I'm like the vice president or whatever. There's a sense of arrogance to it. And I was like, he's like, just trust me, sign up, do it once or twice. And if you don't like it, go on. And I said, okay, I'm fine. So uh, on the flight back, I did all the paperwork. I signed up for being an Uber driver. And uh, about a week or two after I got back into Syracuse, on the way home from work, I turned on Uber and boom, I got my first ride. And I made like six bucks, right? Or whatever. And then I did another ride and another ride. And I was like, this is actually really fun. <laughs> I met so many people. A COVID hit. Um, and so when everybody else was at home, sheltered in, I was actually out Uber driving and meeting more people and experiencing my community. And I fell in love with what I was doing. 
Uh, so much so it gave me the confidence to be able to actually leave uh, congruent. And I don't make uh, as much money as I made at congruent by any stretch, but uh, Uber became this experience that I, I, I just love. I kept meeting new people. So stories, I started getting so many stories of, of what people were doing. People do the craziest thing in your Uber. And I'm not driving at night with like a bunch of drunks all the time. I'm driving during the middle of the day, mind you, Jason. So I started to write them down. I worked at a creative agency, right? So creative people are telling me, you should write this down and you should start to document it. And I started documenting the stories and they're like, that's a book. So um, I started writing a book. So I've got about a hundred Uber stories all organized. Some of them are tear jerkers. Um, you know, you pick up people at the hospital and it's sad and then you know, makes you really, um, your heart goes out to them. You pick up drunk people. Sometimes you pick up crazy people. <laughs> you pick up people who fart in your car <laughs> you know? and it's, it's crazy. Some of the stories that I had, um, but going back to the thing about choose your own adventure, it just wasn't a very good book. I mean, so I had this book and it was like, well, whatever. So, um, leaning into what you talked about, Jason, I actually decided to turn it into a choose your own adventure book. So oh, at, at the so end cool. of each story, you pick the next ride you're going to go on. And from there, um, so if you take Susan to the airport and something crazy happens on the way to the airport, you get to pick, do I want to take John or Toby <laughs> or whoever to the next location? And you can kind of navigate it. it. And so the book has three parts. There's great stories because uh, that's what really matters most. Um, I'm kind of introducing the city of Syracuse where I'm at and kind of some of the different areas and the experiences there. And then um, I'm an economist and accountant, right? So I've got a lot of data. So how uh, how sometimes I'm making $40, $50 an hour, and it's a, it's an amazing experience to how do I manage my gas mileage and my Toyota Avalon to get the most uh, efficiency out of every penny. And so the book kind of goes through all of those things. And this is my first time writing a book. Um, I don't know if it's going to be um <laughs> going to make me rich or not um but it's, it's just something cool. i Who had cares? to do and if you're a creative person you know i'm 47 now and i thought if i don't do it now i'll never do it and so i just started to start writing a book about it and that's that's that you know what once you're a creative person you're always a creative person so it doesn't matter what you're that's doing it doesn't actually surprise me to be honest with you it doesn't yeah. surprise me that you wouldn't have to be an uber driver and then decided to write a, a choose your own adventure <laughs> uber driver book actually i am <laughs> yeah. super excited Please make sure to uh, let me know the link when it comes out. I'm I'm coming on. Definitely. I'm getting a few copies for myself and some friends and family. Hey, uh, Levi, Thanks. for everybody out there watching, listening, and as uh, enjoy this conversation, would love to connect with you or maybe even continue this conversation. What is the best way to connect with you? Yeah, let me give you my phone number. Um, you know, I guess about six months ago, I decided to be as open as possible to the world. So my phone number is on the internet to everybody who uh, wants to call me, but it's 315 315- Five five eight nine one three four. Text me, call me anytime you want, day or night. I am on the internet, and I'm connecting to people on social media to connect with you, just you, yeah. you as an individual. I want to make friends. Um, and, you know, I wrote down like about a year and a half ago. Hey, what do I really want? I want a lot of people at my funeral, <laughs> so I just go. want to make friends. And uh, that's my phone number. You can also find me on the internet at Levi Spires. Uh, anything L E V I S B I R S. Whether it be Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. I'm primarily on Instagram the most, I would say, uh, and of course LinkedIn. That's awesome, Levi. Hey, this has been a really fun conversation. I'm so excited to see the book. Thank you so much for your time. You have yourself an amazing day. Hey, take care, Jason. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Strategy with Jason podcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at strategywithjason.com to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. 
Happy Podcasting.